0: Alright, we are really, really, really fortunate to have Pastor Jeremy Griffiths here. Some of us have been privileged enough to hear him preach before, and um, yeah, we're, we're rapt to have him again. He's come all the way from Adelaide, I was going to say just for us, but also visiting family, but uh, um, Pastor Jeremy is one of the best communicators of the Bible that I know, and so without further ado, we're going to invite him up and he's going to share a good Friday message
1: for us. Thank you. Uh, We're delighted to be here in Bega again. I think it was last September that uh, we were here. Maybe you may remember us or not. What we remember is that the countryside was very dry. So I can only presume you've had plenty of rain over the last couple of months. No. Okay. Well, if you get too much rain, send it to Adelaide because we are in the grip of a really bad dry spell. They're forecasting a dry winter, and we have uh, winter rains. We have dry summers, winter rains, and they're forecasting a dry winter followed by two years of drought, aren't they? Happy, happy people at the Weather Bureau. So um, God bless Adelaide, and if it rains plenty here, say, send it west, Lord. Uh, we, we are glad to be here, and uh, Jacob, we are interested in you. And we're interested in you and the church here. And we are praying that uh, you will experience God's blessings on your life. Uh, yesterday, I picked up a head cold. It must have been flying into New South Wales. And I am now worried that my nose will run away while I'm preaching. So if if my nose embarrasses me, would you wave and say, There's a big drip on the end of your nose? Would you do that? Don't just stare at it. Say, You know. Uh, are, are you okay with that? This is not on YouTube, is it? What, whatever you say. Uh, since, I, since we were here, I've written another book. This is the final in a series on Luke. Uh, it's called Dr. Luke's Casebook. It's chapters uh, 16 to 24, 17 to 24. Uh, it's not enough to read the Bible. Jesus opened their eyes so they could understand the Bible. Philip said to the Ethiopian, do you understand what you're reading? And so uh, these books that I'm writing are to help you understand the Bible. And this is how it works. There is a a section of the scripture, my notes on that, and then how you can apply it. And I reckon if you read two pages a day, which is about uh, 20, 15 verses, and then my notes on it, it will help you understand the Bible. Uh, actually, what I'm going to share in a few minutes comes out of this new book. So uh, they are ten dollars, but we will do an Easter special because this is book three. So uh, three tens. You, you can have the three for forty dollars. How how does that sound? Anybody? Anybody say you failed maths at school? Jeremy, we'll do a deal. If you want to buy the whole set of Luke three for twenty. How, how how does that sound? Thank you for your overwhelming response. <laughs> This is a book, a children's story, called Cyril the Short-Sided Camel. There are a couple of children's stories, the children's books that I've read. They're over there in the corner on your left. And my wife will be glad to um, show them to you. I'm going to preach for 28 minutes, but I don't see a clock. So I need someone to say stop in 28 minutes' time. Yes. Will, will, will you do that, please? I want to talk to you tonight about four men at the cross, four different men and four different responses. And I'm going to ask you, which side of the cross will you stand on? A young boy was taken by his father to a large cathedral in the city. The little boy was in grade one or two and had just been learning some mathematics. And when they went into the cathedral and they saw the pews and the altar and the stained glass windows, But the little boy was fascinated by a large cross fixed on the wall. And he said, Daddy, he said, "Uh, we've been learning mathematics. Why have they got a plus sign in the church? Let me tell you something, that the cross is God's plus sign. Because there, God added grace to our lives. He subtracted our sin, multiplied his favour. The cross is God's great plus over our lives. There are a number of anomalies about the cross and the story of Good Friday. The first anomaly is that Jesus is the light of the world, and yet the trial that convicted him was held at night. Do you know that that was illegal? that the Jews weren't supposed to hold trials at night and they couldn't pass a death sentence at night particularly. It was illegal. There's an anomaly that the one who knew no sin was actually made sin for us. Isaiah's prophecy named Jesus as the mighty God. And yet when you see him in his trial and at the cross, he appears to be so vulnerable. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. And here is the one who is truth. And yet people are lying about him and telling fictitious stories. The one who came to reconcile God and man is now being rejected by his own people. And this brought to Pilate an incredible dilemma. Uh, We are reading from uh, Luke chapter 23 and verse 13. And uh, these are four men at the cross. Uh, Verse 13 says this, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and he said to them, You brought me one that you accused of inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence, and I have found no basis for the charges against him. Here is the judge declaring on that Good Friday morning, very early, maybe 6, 6.30 in the morning, and the judge says he is not guilty. But then Pilate heard that Jesus was from Galilee. And he said, wow, I'm off the hook because Galilee is not in my jurisdiction. It's in Herod's jurisdiction. And it just so happens that Herod is in Jerusalem for the Passover, so I'm going to pass him to I'm going to pass Jesus to him so I sent him there verse 15 it says neither Herod when he examined Jesus he sent him back to us and as you can see he has nothing that deserves death do you know that three times in 18 verses the judge said he's not guilty, he is innocent of the charges he's done nothing worthy of death Therefore, says Pilate, I will punish him and then let him go. Then Pilate thought, there is a, there's isn't there's a way out for me. Because at the Passover time, I, I, I allow one prisoner to go free. I grant clemency. And so he thinks to himself, rather than me choosing, I'm going to let the crowd choose. And I'm going to draw out of the prison the most evil, the most dangerous the, the, the most hated prisoner that I have. And he brings out a man called Barabbas. That, that, that's a really, you know, if your name's Barabbas, I'm sorry, but, but it's a really hard, everybody say Barabbas. You, you know, it, 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 you can picture just in his name what he was like. He was guilty of rebellion against Rome. Well, that's a death sentence. He was also guilty of murder, and that's the second death sentence. There could be no greater contrast to Pilate's mind. Here is the Lamb of God, and here is a violent man. Here is somebody that has given life, and here is a man who has taken life. Here is a thief. Here is the giver of good gifts. Jesus was to be loved and admired. Barabbas was to be feared. Jesus was totally innocent. Barabbas was totally guilty. But look what it says in verse 18. The whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison because of insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept on shouting, crucify him, crucify him. What does Pilate do? In Matthew's account, it says that he called for a basin of water, and in front of the crowd, he began to wash his hands, and he said, "I am innocent of the bl- I am innocent of the blood of this just man." Here is the first response to the cross. I want nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with me. I don't want to be involved. I'm washing my hands of it. There is a tradition that says that following the cross, Pilate became obsessed with washing his hands. And he would repeatedly do it through the day. And each time he would say, I I just can't get my hands clean. Let me talk to you about another man at the cross, the man... Barabbas. Interesting name. Barabbas. Bar means son of. Abba is the Hebrew word for father. Barabbas' name meant son of the father. And here is an incredible parallel between Barabbas and Jesus because we know that Jesus is the only son of the father. Barabbas is released we have no record anywhere of what happened to him where he went what he did he disappears from the stage of history he walks away never to be heard of again but let's pause for a moment and let's think about this if a news reporter had interviewed barabbas what would barabbas have said he could have said this that man jesus Died for me. He took my place. He died so I might live. His death has given me life. Because of Jesus, I've been set free. If he'd have said, those words are words of salvation. They are descriptions of exactly what Jesus did for us at the cross. He died for me. He took my place. His death brought me life. Through his death, I've been set free. So what does Barabbas do? Well, I reckon he could have been a great preacher. He could have been the man that, you know, the first convert of the death of Jesus Christ. You would have thought that he would have looked at for the disciples. He would, you would have thought that after Pentecost, he'd go find a church and join it. Maybe he could become a a global preacher, an itinerant with this incredible testimony, Jesus died for me. But instead he walks away, unmoved, unchanged, disinterested. He shrugs his shoulders. What's that to do with me? He missed the greatest opportunity and he walked away. And when Barabbas walked away, Jesus walked to Calvary. It wasn't just for Barabbas that Jesus was dying, but in Isaiah 53, it says, He carried our sorrows. And when they pierced his hands, he was pierced for our transgressions. And when the weight of the cross crushed him, the Bible says that he was crushed for our iniquities and he carried our punishment. There were two aspects of the cross. There was the fearful, physical pain and agony. But with that was the awesome spiritual pain and anguish. Jesus did truly die a painful death. But more than that, he was carrying the judgment of God for sin. The crowd mocked him. The soldiers mistreated him. They were cruel how will Jesus respond to this? Well, in verse 33, this is what it says. When they came to the place called the skull, which is Latin Calvaria, where we get the name Calvary from. They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus responds. And how does he respond? Come on, let's, how does he respond? Father, forgive. Father, forgive them. Father, no greater relationship, no greater confidence. When Jesus says, Father, he's talking to God. Father, forgive. No sweeter word, no greater pardon. Oh, Father, forgive them. Oh, forgive the soldiers that have been so cruel. Forgive the crowd that are so indifferent, that are mocking. But not just the soldiers or the crowd, but he is extending that to all humanity because it was my sin that he was carrying there. It was my punishment that he was bearing. And when he said, Father, forgive them, he was including me. But Jesus wasn't alone when he died. In verse 38, it says, one of the criminals that were crucified with him hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Show us the next verse if you can. Aren't you the Messiah? Uh, You you missed one, I think. Uh, Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are being punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. Isn't that interesting? Pilate said he's innocent. Herod said he's not guilty. And then a thief that's dying with him, recognising that he is the sinless son. He's done nothing wrong. Verse 42. Then he said, Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That is one of the greatest statements of faith in the New Testament. Jesus, the Bible still says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. I don't know the background of this dying thief, but I do know that in that moment, when he called on the name of Jesus, something was happening. Oh, I know your name, Jesus, but I also know who you are. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What a crazy statement. The man is dying on a cross. What future does he have? But the dying thief says, I know who you are. You are Jesus. You are the king. You're the king of Israel, but you are also the king of all kings. And when you come... This man realized that the cross was not the end, that there is life beyond the grave, and in that life to come, everything would be reversed. Jesus wouldn't be on a cross, he would be on the throne. He wouldn't be judged, He would be the judged, judge. and there would be rewards and judgments. And then he says, "Will you remember me? Is there a place in your kingdom for me, in your kindness?" Is there forgiveness for me? In your mercy, is there room for me? Jesus, remember three of the most simple words. Some would say, oh, it's too late to pray that. But it's never too late for God's grace. Some people would say, well, it's not real. I mean, this is a deathbed confession. Anybody would do that. But let me say to you, Let God be the judge of a person's heart. Oh, but you might say, this man has nothing to offer. He's a few minutes away from death. He brings nothing to offer. And that's the grace of God that reaches us who are not worthy and can offer nothing. Oh, can you remember me? How does Jesus respond? Well, he says, "Uh, there's a few problems. You see, you need to be baptized and there isn't the time. Uh, By the way, you haven't paid your tithes, which means you're not sincere enough, and you should have been a disciple. So you haven't got enough knowledge, and you haven't spoken in tongues. So obviously you're linked to the wrong group. Your past is too bad. We need more repentance from you. This is too little and too late. Well, what does Jesus say in verse 43? Truly, hey, whenever Jesus says truly. It's an important thing. Truly, I tell you, this day, today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus gives an immediate response today, this moment, right now, the transaction has already happened. You've expressed your faith in me and I want to declare that right now you are in the kingdom. Aren't you glad that when Jesus calls, you don't get an answering machine? Pastor, I ring you. You've called Jacob. (laughs) Imagine if God had an answering machine. Our office is unattended. If you need an angel, press one. If you want to talk to the sun, press two. If you're in a lion's den, press three. I got some news for you. If you call, he answers. Jesus gives the man absolute certainty. He doesn't say, let's wait and see. He says, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me. The business is concluded. Your name's in the book. No more uncertainty, not let's wait and see, but with me, the absolute reality. Everybody look at it that way. <laughs> What's heaven like, Pastor? Oh, the streets are gold. The wall of the city, unbelievable. The gate is made of pearl. And you can see the names of the heroes the names of the sons of Israel and the names of the apostles. And as you walk through the gates, there are people from all around the world. The nations are coming and you walk this street of like an incredible avenue and there is the river of God and either side of the river, there's the tree of life with leaves that bring healing and there's the throne of God and somebody's sitting on the throne. And on his right hand is Jesus. Hey, heaven's not about the golden streets or the gates of pearl or the river of life. Heaven is all about Jesus. And he says to the dying thief, today, you will be with me. This is the ultimate game, to be with him in paradise, heaven, Father's house, everything is provided. Is that 28 minutes? The man, all he asked for was remember me. But whenever you come to God, he gives you more than what you asked for. (laughs) The man got forgiveness for all his sins. He got resolution from his past. He got certainty for his future and he got a place in heaven with Jesus and there were no prerequisites. If you call upon the Lord, you receive so much more. Lord, will you remember me? Salvation is intimately personal. We cannot be saved by someone else's faith. It has to be personal. Lord, remember me. Here's the interesting thing. We don't know this guy's name. No record of who he is. He's just a nobody. He's a face in the crowd. He's one of those unfortunates. But to the Lord, he is a somebody. Think about this for a moment. Who were the people that first heard the news of the birth of Jesus? Shepherds. Now We might, we might appreciate shepherds, but in Bible days, they were considered vagabonds you know, lowest strider of society. At the wedding of Cana, when Jesus did his first miracle, who, who were the witnesses of the first miracle? Servants, people with very little rights. I mean, if the shepherds were the lowest of the low, well, well the servants were just one step above. And here at the cross, who who is the first person to benefit from the death of Christ? thief, And the reason is this. God did not send his son into the world for righteous people. He didn't send his son to condemn us, but he sent his son to save the lost. And that's what we were. Pilate, he washed his hands. Barabbas walked away. But the thief said, will you remember me? Verse 44 says, it was about noon now, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. I don't know if you're aware, but Easter, Passover, is always on a full moon. Do you know that it is physically impossible to have an eclipse of the sun at noon when there is a full It's impossible. So what on earth was this? Do you know that other historians record an incident when they said there was no explanation, but a darkness filled the land, not just in Israel, but in other countries? Ask me what I think it was. This is what I think. The Father made his soul an offering for sin, and he emptied on Jesus the sins of the whole world so much so that Jesus became sin and that that God could not look. And as he turned his face, the natural lights of heaven could not look on it either. This was a miraculous darkness, but the miraculous darkness was accompanied by something else. Because as he died, the curtain in the temple tore in two. What an amazing co- coincidence. This curtain, this veil, was about 20 centimetres thick. It was three, uh, parts, uh, th- three separate curtains made of various animal skins that had been woven together and utterly impossible for a man to tear. It actually says in Matthew that the curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. So even though God had turned his face, when he made his soul an offering for sin and Jesus died, the transaction is finished. The unseen hands of God tore apart the barrier between God and man. We've been reconciled in Jesus. Hallelujah. Verse 46, it says this. Jesus called with a loud voice. Do you know, one of the first things he said on the cross was, my God, why have you forsaken me? That time when God made his soul an offering for sin. But now the transaction's over. It's finished. And Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. And here is the fourth man at the cross, the centurion, who had seen what had happened. Now, this man was a Gentile. Everybody go. Whoa, I mean, Jesus, a Jew, died. <laughs> hey, for God so loved the world. The Gentiles are included. Not only was he a Gentile, but he had seen as a soldier battle. He'd seen <coughs> brutality. He'd seen death. He had given the orders for Jesus to be crucified. Death was not a stranger to this man, but the one that he saw die was like no other man. He'd seen the darkness. He'd heard the words, Father, forgive them. He'd heard the words, this day you will be with me in paradise. And at the point of Jesus' death, this Gentile gets speaks up and he says, surely this was the son of a, a righteous man. Matthew's Gospel says, surely this was the son of God. For Pilate, I'll wash my hands of this man. For Barabbas, I'll walk away and never think again. But the thief took the opportunity. The centurion was the first fruits of a Gentile harvest that is still being reaped today. Hallelujah. So here's the question. The question is which side of the cross will we stand at? I mean, will we stand with Pilate and say, well, good thing about Easter, we have a holiday. That's why they call it Good Friday, no work. I wipe my hands at Jesus. Or maybe like Barabbas, you'll just walk away. And maybe like the crowd, you will cry out or oh, crucify him. Or will you stand on the side of the thief and say, Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, will you stand with the, with the centurion? Again, we don't know his name, but he's in the kingdom. Shulis was the son of God. In Jesus, we look past all, the, all that religion has made the cross and we see who you are and what your death has accomplished. And we will not stand with the crowd that say, crucified. We will stand with the crowd that say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And by his blood, he has redeemed men for God from all nations, tongues, and families. The cross divides. You've got to make a decision. Which side of the cross will you stand on? If you say, well, I'll make it later, you're doing what Pilate's doing. If you say, well, it's really nothing to do with me, let me live my life. And even though you are a son of Father God, you walk away. I am sure that many of us in this room tonight would say with that thief, Lord, remember me. You might wear the crown of thorns on Friday, but Sunday's coming when you're going to wear another ki- another crown because you are the king and you're the Lord. Oh, Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, we know who you are. And we say with a centurion, surely you are the son of God. Hallelujah. Somebody tell me the time. It's time. Okay. I remember those words in 1973. It's time. Hey, let me totally digress. Australia's got an election coming up, if you didn't know. 18th of May. For years, we have prayed for a Christian prime minister. Is that true? If we, oh, God, you know, give us a Christian in Parliament. Now we've got a jolly prime minister who's a Pentecostal and speaks in tongues. Did you know that? I reckon, well, he's going to get my vote. Forget which part. Which par- oh, I'll stop right now. Okay. This is what I think we should do. I think if you want to stand on that side that says, Lord, remember me, and we know who you are you are the son of god and we say worthy is the lamb then i think if you want to stand you can stand with me because i know which side of the cross i'm standing on so we're going to pray in a moment in like in 20 seconds and if you want to say i'm standing on that side I'm standing on the side with the thief and I'm standing on the side with the centurion and I'm standing on the side with with the crowd that says you're worthy, then why don't you stand right now? And if that's you, put your hand over your heart. Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me. Come on, speak it out. Lord, remember me. It's not whether you've been baptised in the right church. It's not whether you paid your tithes. It's not whether you speak in tongues. That man had no opportunity for any of that. All he had the opportunity to do was to say, Lord, remember me. And Jesus said, this day you're in the kingdom. Lord, come on, speak it out. Lord, remember me. Speak it out again. Lord, remember me. You know, when you say that, He knows who you are and where you are and what you are. And He's not looking at your past. He's guaranteeing your future. Come on, say it again. Lord, remember me. And then the centurion says, you're the Son of God. Come on, let's say, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Hallelujah. Now take your hand and lift it to heaven and say, you're worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. You're worthy not just because you made us, but you're worthy because you have redeemed us. And by your blood, you've drawn men and women from every tribe and nation and language. Oh, you are worthy, Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, there you go. Please take your seats. Did my nose run away? It was it was okay. No drips. Okay. <laughs> there you go.
0: Wow! Thank you, Pastor Jeremy. Who enjoyed that? That was amazing, wasn't it? <laughs> Tonight's one of the rare nights that in um in the life of Resonate Church we don't have food after a service, but um. It doesn't mean that you have to just run away straight away. If you want to hang around and say day. I'll leave some hot water and we can have a cup and tea and coffee, but I do understand a lot of people have to go to family dinners and that sort of stuff. So I'm going to close our service in prayer, and that's the end of our service tonight. Thank you so much for coming. There's so many things you could have done tonight, um, and you chose to come and and to honour God and to grow in your faith. So well done, and uh, let's just pray. Father, thank you for that incredible word, Pastor Jeremy. Thank you that we have a choice that we can make. You did all of it for us and all we have to do is say, remember me, Lord, you are the Son of God. Lord, I pray that many people in our families, in our community, across our nation would have that coming from their tongues this weekend as they remember Christ, that they'd call out his name. Lord, we thank you for this time of Easter where we can remember how amazing you really are and what you've done for us. In your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for coming, guys, and have a great Easter.